The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi guys, this is Lo and welcome to another brand new episode of I Love Wellness. Today on the show, we are going to be talking food. So we have Danielle Walker. She is the New York Times best-selling author of the Against All Grain cookbook series on the show. And welcome. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for coming on. So you are uh, the author and photographer of the New York Times best-selling cookbook Against All Grain. And I know that you were diagnosed with an autoimmune disease when you were 22 years old. Um, so you needed to make some dietary changes to really improve your lifestyle and how you were feeling. So talk to me a little bit about this autoimmune disease. Um, and you know, did, did you have it your whole life? Was it at 22 that you discovered it? Kind of talk me through that, um, that journey. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it came on overnight. Um, my husband and I lived in LA, he was finishing up school and we were about to get married. And I started noticing kind of some digestive symptoms, like right before the wedding, which I just figured were wedding jitters and college graduation and moving and everything. Um, and I got diagnosed two months after we got married. So it was like a pretty crazy two months between our wedding and getting into the ER and seeing tons of different specialists. Um, it took a really long time, even like three or four different specialists to get a diagnosis. Most of the time I was just kind of shoot out the door with medications or with just, you know, simple things like you need to eat more fiber. <laughs> uh, and we finally pushed uh, and got a colonoscopy done. And so I have an autoimmune disease called ulcerative colitis. It's very similar to Crohn's disease. Um, there's hundreds of different autoimmune diseases. So, and 50 million Americans have autoimmune conditions. So there's so many different kinds and they affect everybody differently. Um, but the one thing is that the autoimmune disease means that your immune system is overactive and it wrongfully attacks an organ in your body. So for me, it affects my colon. Mm, okay. Got it. Um, and so I guess what an interesting time in your life, right? You're getting <laughs> married, you're starting a new life together with somebody like, how did the diagnosis of affect you at the time? Um, was it emotionally like really, really challenging for you or, or was it a little bit easier to wrap your head around because you hadn't been suffering with symptoms for, you know, years and years? Yeah, it was a little bit of both. Um, it was a huge shock just to come on overnight. And unfortunately at that time, I didn't get a lot of answers. Um, we tried asking questions. I think the the concept of autoimmune disease still was not new, but I think still being really studied. And so course, yeah. a lot of the times we were just kind of pushed out of the doctor's office without really an explanation of what the disease was. And because mm -hmm. it came on so quickly, I think a lot of it was just, we were kind of just stunned and didn't really know what to think. Um, I remember being told that it was incurable and that I would have it for the rest of my life. And I think that was kind of the moment where I was like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, what does this mean for the rest of my life? And I'm a big planner and type a, and my husband and I had been together since we were 16. So I like had my entire life planned out <laughs> since sure. I was in high school. Um, so it quickly unraveled and it was definitely really emotional and really depressing for a long time, just in a very dark place of trying to figure out what to do. Um, yeah. they said that the medications that they put me on would allow me to live a normal life. So I think I would kind of kind of go back and forth between having this glimmer of hope of like, oh, okay, you know, it's incurable, but if they're saying I can live a normal life with medications, then I guess it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. um, but then we quickly found out 
within a few months that normal, the way that they explained normal was not the normal that I wanted and that I was not having the life and the picture of health that I had planned on having. Do you have, um, I'm always curious to ask people this, who I know have some kind of autoimmune, do you have like a working theory that's personal as to why this um, was turned in your, turned on in your body? Like, do you think something triggered it? You know, yeah. a lot of people that have lupus, they're like, I think that I had Lyme disease. I think I was bitten by a tick. You know, it right. turned this on in my body. So I'm curious for you if, if you feel like something happened to you or if it just kind of um, evolved in a, in a way that you can't quite put your finger on. It's, yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, I was diagnosed, gosh, it's been, it was 2007. So it's been a long time. So I've had a lot of time to really look back at my life and kind of try yeah. to some of those things. I do have autoimmune disease in our family, uh, different autoimmune diseases. My grandmother had rheumatoid arthritis, so and my grandfather has diabetes. So I think that I may have been genetically predisposed to it. Um, mm-hmm. And every time we would ask the doctors why, they would kind of say, we don't really know. Uh, so I think it was a combination. I don't handle stress very well. And I've mm-hmm. learned over the years that if I let myself get too stressed or I run my body down too much, that I can have a flare-up of my disease no matter how well I'm eating. Um, and so I think it was a combination of planning a wedding, working full time, being in college, moving. Um, And then, you know, in terms of my own personal theories, I got a stomach bug right before graduation from college and they put me on an antibiotic. And I don't think I'd probably been on an antibiotic since I was a kid. I just don't, I can't remember in my life, you know, why I would have needed one. And now I know just from my own, you know, health and my own history that when I go on an antibiotic, I have to really work to repopulate my Mm. gut microbiome to stay in a healthy state or I can go into a flare up. And I didn't know that at 20 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it was a combination of a lot of those things, different stress, plus the stress on my body, plus just not having, you know, a healthy microbiome and a healthy diet, I think probably were kind of just some of those tipping points that could have Mm -hmm. caused it. Yeah, I I understand when when you were just telling me that story, it made me reflect on my own sort of like health crisis a few years ago. Um, I had really bad vitamin deficiencies and um, I didn't know it for a really long time. And I was dealing with really bad anxiety, really bad depression, you know, out of nowhere. Like one day it just turned on in my body um, and it, it was the same thing. My gut microbiome was all messed up. Um, you know, I, unlike you had taken tons of antibiotics growing up. So it was like a systemic like issue for me. Yeah. There is a massive connection between the brain and the gut. And I've learned that over the years, just, I mean, both ways, if you don't have a healthy gut, it can totally affect, you know, everything from depression to anxiety. And then it can kind of go both ways. If you can't manage your stress levels and your emotions, you know, and take Mm -hmm. care of that through whatever ways you feel like are best for you, then it can completely mess up your gut as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm more interested um, in kind of how you figured out how to take better care of yourself. Because in 2007, you're right. Like, did, did anybody even know what an autoimmune disease was really? I mean, I feel like I've, I've known of the term ulcerative colitis and, you know, Crohn's disease and things like that. Um, and I know for you, doctors told you for a really long time that what you were eating wasn't really a factor in your disease. And I think now it's very obvious that, that could not be the truth, right? It's like the furthest thing from the truth. Right. So we have learned, but this is something that you discovered yourself. So 
I'm, I'm just really curious, like what made you come to the decision to try to heal your body with food? Um, and then kind of how did it, you know, affect your, your path forward, like with your life, your career, all of the, all of the ways. Um, I think I was, I'm lucky in that my disease affects my colon. So at 22 in my brain, at some point, I just thought, well, okay, everything that I'm eating is going through the thing that's being affected by my disease. So could I be eating something that's messing it up or could I be not getting enough of something? And while they all still told me, no, there was just this piece in my head that was like, that just doesn't make sense. You know, like, you know, if you eat terrible food that it can make your stomach hurt. Or if, you know, when you're growing up and you had the flu, they told you to eat the brat diet, like the very simple, you know, like bananas and rice. And so I'm like, there has mm-hmm. to be something in this that is calming for your gut when it's inflamed. Sure. So I just kind of kept on it. And at that point, there weren't cookbooks. There weren't a lot of websites talking about it. There might've been one or two blogs. Um, but what there was at the time were chat boards, medical chat boards, mm, mm-hmm. uh, kind of long before social media, before like a lot of the communities that have formed around these health things. Yeah. Uh, but there were real people in chat boards just saying like, Hey, I have this disease and I, you know, I've taken this, this and this, and it hasn't worked, or I've tried eating this, this and this, and it has. And so I just kind of started entering into those chat boards and just looking through people's different bios and what they were mm. talking about. And the first thing I came across was gluten-free, um, which I had never heard the word gluten for. I had no idea what gluten was in. I was like, I don't really know what that means, but if you're feeling better from it, maybe I should try it. So it was kind of a, a stepping stone process for me. I went gluten-free first. I went, you know, like no refined wheat, then eventually went grain-free. Um, and it, it was like, I would notice an improvement in my symptoms with each thing. And it wasn't really mm. until I kind of stumbled upon a paleo style diet through doing elimination diet with a functional MD that I realized that grains and dairy and legumes were like my biggest <laughs> nose and what really made my body just scream and become inflamed. And, um, so after going through kind of a long, there was a, a few years, but after going through an elimination diet and cutting those things, I saw an improvement in my symptoms within 48 hours, like an 80% improvement in my symptoms. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It was, it was more tangible improvement than any medication had ever done for me. Wow. So that was kind of the turning point for me. Yeah. It was like, Oh my gosh, I can't even believe that this could have that big of an impact on me. Um, And I think for some people it takes longer. I mean, just because it's literally food and it's going through your entire digestive system and that's the way that my disease is. I think I see a little bit more of a drastic change with Mm -hmm. food. Some people it takes a little bit longer, but um, that was really the moment that I was like, okay, something in this works. And so from then it was just kind of nuancing and figuring out what things my body tolerated best and what things it didn't and keeping a food journal and like really actually looking at the symptoms and how they correlated to what I ate. That's really interesting. So the symptoms of ulcerative colitis, are they like, is it just, do you just experience digestive issues or over a period of time, if it gets bad enough, do you start to experience, you know, arthritis and, you know, pain injuries and other things? Like, does it expand beyond once the inflammation gets so bad or is it like just digestive symptoms? No, it's, it's, it's a whole slew of things. If it gets too bad and you let it go too long, it can go arthritis to something that I've had. And you can also get inflammation in your eyes that makes your eyes to go and have like really, really bad pain behind your eyes. Um, hair loss, weight loss. I mean, I would lose 20 to 30 pounds within two weeks sometimes. Oh my God. 
causes, you know, a whole other amount of issues, like really a high heart rate. Um, and then the medications have a lot of side effects too. So that's a lot of the problem. Um, but also with the digestive system issues can come really bad anemia um, because with ulcerative colitis, there's blood loss. So then you have this whole other slew of symptoms, like no energy, yeah. really, you know, being really lightheaded, no appetite. Um, so yeah, it kind of just keeps going. It's like a domino effect of symptoms that kind of just keep coming one after another. Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company woo, that makes eating well, easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. The recipes are quick with step-by-step instructions, chef tips, and photos to guide you along. And there is truly something for everyone, including me. Their meal plans include paleo, plant-powered, keto, and balanced living. So with Green Chef, it is easy to eat well and discover new recipes every week that you will love to cook. I personally have enjoyed how much time Green Chef helps me save on busy weeknights, and it is so easy with the ingredients pre-measured and perfectly portioned. It literally saves so much time. So our listeners can use code ILW80 to get $80 off your first month plus free shipping on your first box. Go to greenchef.com slash ILW80 to redeem and for more details. That is greenchef.com slash ILW80 and enter code ILW80 for $80 off your first month plus free shipping on your first box. Now back to I Love Wellness. Yeah, so um, what's interesting is how much this has formed who you are in a, you know, from a career perspective. So you're a self-trained chef. Um, you know, you've acquired these amazing culinary skills. Um, you love journalism, I guess. Could you talk me, talk to me about kind of the path towards your cookbook against all grain and how did you develop these recipes when you were learning on your own? Like, how did you come up with innovative ingredients? Because I love talking to people like you because like now you can just go buy like a cauliflower pizza crust, but (laughs) in 2010, you could not do that. So I'm just curious about sort of like your relationship with food and your exploration, um, you know, within the culinary arts and kind of how you figured this out for yourself. I'm just very fascinated. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a family that loved to cook. I have an Italian grandmother. She cooked Mm. for all of us all the time. And I definitely grew up watching her and wanting to be like her, but I was diagnosed right out of college. So, I mean, we were eating like Taco Bell and Burger King. And, you know, I mean, that's the stuff that we were still doing in college. The most I cooked was a box of pasta and like a jar of marinara sauce. Um, And so, but I started to become interested in food, just like watching the Food Network and looking at food magazines kind of during my last year of college. And then, of course, like as I got married, I had these dreams, you know, of grandiose dreams of cooking for my husband and our family. And so I had an interest in food, but I by no means knew how to make up a recipe or anything other than just kind of following something to a T. And even then I would not have considered myself a good cook. Um, but when I started changing my diet, which at that point it, it would have been around 2009, I tried a few recipes that were out there, which there was not, there weren't many out there. Um, and I lost hope pretty quickly. I was like, <laughs> I don't feel like I can eat this type of food for the rest of my life. And I knew that to stay well, this needed to be a lifestyle change and not just like a 30 day, you know, diet. Mm-hmm. And so it really was what propelled me 
and just start testing stuff. Um, at that point, I had just had my first son. And when he was napping, I would just start testing recipes. I would take things that like my grandma either passed down to me, her recipes, and I would try to convert them. Or I would take a few, you know, already kind of gluten-free things and try to figure out what to substitute in. And it was a lot of trial and error at first, (laughs) uh, especially with not having culinary training. But I started to learn kind of over time, just the different properties of like the grain-free flours or that you couldn't substitute in a cup of coconut flour for regular flour, or it would... (laughs) like a brick um, and tastes terrible. Uh, So it was a lot of just keeping notes and doing like many, many renditions of the same recipe until I got it to the place that I wanted it to be. And after I was spending some time doing some of that and kind of like sharing things with my family and neighbors, my husband was the one that was like, hey, you should start a blog. And again, I mean, this was 2009. So it was like, I was like, I don't really know what a blog is. (laughs) Um, And so he set it up for me. It was just like a .wordpress easy blog and I designed the logo in PowerPoint and I just started plugging in recipes and taking photos with my phone because my family was asking for the recipes. So I was like, all right, well, nobody's going to read this except for my family. Um, But over, gosh, probably over about six months to a year, I started gaining traction on Facebook with with the blog and Mm -hmm. recipes that I found a lot of people were needing. When I first started that way, I really thought it was just for like celiac, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. And I started having all of these strangers come into the blog and telling me that they had rheumatoid arthritis or they had lupus or they had, you know, there's just this massive amount of different ailments that people were eating grain-free and dairy-free for. And I found that the biggest thing that people were missing were those like comfort foods and the cakes and the cookies and the breads, the things that they were like, I can go and make, you know, any Martha Stewart or Ina Garden dinner recipe because all I have to do is like omit the starch and just use the meat and the the vegetables. But Mm -hmm. what what most people can't do is figure out like, okay, how do I take my favorite cookie recipe from my great grandmother and substitute all that stuff in to make it dairy free and grain free. So those were the recipes that kind of started the blog, you know, to have some traction. And um, within a year, I got my first cookbook contract and I've written four since and I'm working on my fifth now. You're a scientist. This is very cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, which is the funny part. Really? I mean, I I feel like I kind of had my own little kitchen lab, but I, you know, you, you, you have, I mean, uh, just, I can imagine your early days of experimenting in the kitchen and just you you saying like, can you swap one cup of coconut flour for normal? It's like, no, but then you start to understand chemistry and the properties behind all of these things. And so it's like, just, Accept the compliment, okay? You're yes, a scientist. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I always tell people, I'm like, I can't tell you how many meals I started telling my husband, like, I'm sorry, but we were newlyweds and he was in law school and I was like, I can't throw out this like, these in- expensive ingredients. So we're going to eat it tonight and I promise it'll get better the next time. That's very charming. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious, are your cookbooks based on a paleo lifestyle and diet so is that kind of like the program that you follow or are there modifications that you make to that or like additions other things that you also you know eliminate beyond paleo 
Yeah, paleo is kind of the easiest way to explain the way that I eat. I've been able to add back in a little bit of dairy, um, especially like goats and sheep's milk over the years after being yeah. on for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, everything in the book is grain-free and dairy-free and free of legumes. So it really does all go within the paleo guidelines, but it's also great for anybody that's gluten-free, anybody that just wants to eat healthier. There's no refined sugars, no processed foods. So it's mm-hmm. it kind of blankets a lot of different eating lifestyles. I mean, mm-hmm. if you want even some of them or keto friendly, it's kind of, it, it, it kind of touches a lot of different areas. Yeah, I understand. Are there any myths surrounding the paleo diet that you want to dispel? <laughs> you know, it's funny because it's not talked about as much as it was when I first started eating that way. I mean, I was actually looking at some old magazine articles that they published like my first book from back when it came out in 2013. And I laughed because next to my book, they had a picture of um, Wilma and uh, the Flintstone gals. I'm like, what are the two girls' names? Wilma and whatever her name is. Mm-hmm. And I'm just laughing because I'm like, that's the way that it was looked at back when I first started. We got a lot of grief for the people who were following it of like, <laughs> You know, people thinking like that we sat around in loincloths eating like big turkey legs. And (laughs) I think because it was so often talked about as like the caveman diet. And really, I mean, I fell upon it just based on what my body needed. So I've kind of always, I've not been in like the massive like paleo camp where that's all I tout. It's just healthy eating and what works for my body. And it's it's anti-inflammatory in nature. Um, But I think probably the biggest thing is just people feel two things. One, they think that the food will be super bland and boring. And that's been my like life's mission since starting my blog of recreating things from like chicken pot pie to chocolate layered cake because I don't want anybody to feel deprived and I definitely don't want myself to or my three kids. Um, but then I think the other thing too is that it has to be super meat heavy. I eat more vegetables now, I think, than before I went grain free mm-hmm. um, and dairy free. Because I think I used to fill my plate with rice, and actually I don't do white potatoes either. So I would fill my plate with like rice and white potatoes and all the starches and you know yeah. dairy, whether it was like cheese or sour cream. And I feel like my plate is more heavily weighted towards vegetables. I feel like I've discovered so many new vegetables and ways to prepare them over the last decade that I wouldn't have eaten in my early twenties. So that's probably the other, that's, that's probably the biggest myth just that it's like has to be all meat all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit about, um, your, your book series itself against all grain. So I know you got that first book deal a year after you started the blog, which is so cool. Um, talk to me about recipe development, what kind of work goes into creating a cookbook, um, I've, I haven't written a cookbook. I love to cook, but I don't have a cookbook. Um, so I'm just curious, like, what does the process look like? What are some of your favorite recipes? Yeah, it's, um, it's a bigger process than I think a lot of people think. Um, typically it's about a two year process. So from mm. signing a contract to testing and developing all the recipes to editing and then to the photography and the styling, um, and then, you know, to when it gets on shelves. So I usually take about a year to develop the recipes, uh, it depends how many recipes you have in the books. I kind of shot myself in the foot because my first book, I put like 160 recipes into it. Oh, dang. <laughs> I know, because I thought it would be my only book, honestly. Yeah. I, was like, I couldn't believe they were giving me a book contract to start. I thought that was only for big Food Network stars. And so I was like, this is my only shot. I'm going to put everything I can into this. And then I kept writing more and I was like, well, I have to match that amount. It has to be, you know, as thick and people won't feel like it has as much value. Um, so yeah, I start with just kind of like my ideas around what the topic of the book is. So the first one was just kind of general grain free. The second one was easy weeknight dinners. The third was all holidays and celebrations. 
Um, and then the fourth was all comfort foods. And so when I kind of come up with the concept of the book, I start to just write down a list of what recipes I'd like to see in it. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I have some idea in my head of kind of like, okay, how could I recreate thin mint cookies, you know, and I Yum. kind of like, yeah, so those are in my fourth book. Um, I always have some ideas. And the thing is, is, when you have a special diet, if you have allergies or you're eating a special way, I feel like the list of recipes for me is endless because there's inspiration all over the world of things I can't eat and pretty much anything I can't eat, I want to recreate. So I just have this running list all over because I'm terribly organized, but it's on notes. It's in reminders. It's in my head. It's like, it's everywhere of just all the recipes I want to recreate. And that's kind of where I get started. Mm. Um, And then I get into the kitchen and I just start testing and I keep really detailed books of what's been put in it, what's been changed, you know, for each rendition. Um, And then after that process, they go out and I do something a little different than most cookbook authors where I actually have this team of awesome fans who've been following me since the beginning and they get the recipes before they go to print and I have them test them in their kitchens first to make sure that the home cook can make it look and taste like it does on the page because that's my Uh biggest pet peeve is when you see this like I love that community you fall cookbook photo and you're like mine looks nothing like that and then you feel like you've done something wrong or you've wasted ingredients so yeah I like them to be like real tested in in real kitchens before they go out into the world so that I know that they can be made elsewhere than my kitchen and then it goes into photography and the whole works it's a long process but it's it's my favorite thing it's like I, the creation process of it is is my favorite part yeah that's really editing exciting. not so much <laughs> <laughs> That takes a long time. (laughs) So maybe you can tell us just off the top of your head, five of your favorite recipes. Okay. Yes. Um, So the Thin Mint Cookies would be my favorite, one of them, because I ate those growing up all the time. Uh, Chicken pot pie, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, They're called Real Deal Chocolate Chip Cookies. They're from my very first cookbook, and they're like what I feel like I'm most known for, just something as simple as a chocolate chip cookie. Um, And then... I have a Moroccan sheet pan dinner. I've been doing a lot more sheet pan dinners now that I have too many kids and I'm working full time. Um, And that one, I just love the flavors and I love that it all can be done on one sheet pan because Mm -hmm. that's what we all need right now with the little time that we have. But yeah, I would say those are my four favorites. Okay. We'll, we'll let you keep stay, stick to four and stuff. Yeah, I know I was going to say, oh, did I say, did you say five? Sorry. I can come it's up with okay. another one. It's actually yeah. really hard. People are always like, what's your favorite recipe? I'm like, it's like picking your favorite kid. Cause you put I so know. much heart and soul into those books, you know, and between the four plus my blog, I think I have like 1200 recipes. So it's always a little hard to remember, but the chocolate nut free grain free cake from my celebrations would be my number five. You are a dessert lover. I love it. I definitely am. (laughs) Do you ever just open the fridge and just kind of throw together whatever you find in there? Or do you always kind of decide ahead of time, this is going to be the meal. I'm going to prep. I'm going to make it. Or do you ever, because I do a lot of just open the fridge and just like, oh, whatever's in here. I think that's great. No, I think that's (laughs) great. A lot of people don't feel the confidence to do that. And I think that's the best thing because then you use up what's in your fridge. Yeah, I do that a lot. I mean, I definitely have fallbacks. If I've got stuff that I just want to try to come up with, it's usually like a stew in the instant pot. Um, or a stir fry or some sort mm-hmm. of like a curry, because I just feel like you can just kind of utilize all of your bits and pieces. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, a lot of times when I'm cooking just for our family, I, I just throw things together. The thing is, is because I'm running the blog still and writing cookbooks, typically when I make something, I try to get like a two birds with one stone. Of course. Where I'm, like, I'm going to make something. I may as well write it down and photograph it and get it somewhere so that I'm, you know, using my time best. But 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, this has been really fun. So we're going to wrap with two questions that I asked to everybody. So the first question is, what is your secret ritual? This is something that you do that makes you feel happy or helps you unwind, but you do it in secret. Oh, gosh. Um, or private. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, this is a silly one and my family knows this, but I don't feel like anybody else does. I sleep a lot, like a lot, a lot. My, my husband is a saint. He gets up with our kids, but honestly, that's the best thing wellness wise for me is just getting a lot of rest. If I don't get good sleep, I can flare up really easily. So mm. it's secret only that I'm slightly embarrassed because I go to bed at like nine 30 and wake up at eight. So wow. Yeah. That's so nice. <laughs> I know he's really, really great. And my, well, it's helpful that my kids aren't having to go to school right now because we're virtually learning. So I think I'm, I'm in a little bit of a more like lenient period right now, but yeah, that's amazing. Goodness. I, I, w- I wish I could sleep that long. I'd love to sleep that long, but my body just wakes itself up at like 630 uh, every my, morning. Mine like, hello. <laughs> my husband's dismay. I'm sure he's like, don't you hear the kids downstairs? I'm like, Nope. I just sleep until somebody comes and wakes me up. Yep. I'm asleep. Um, <laughs> all right. My last question and you know, maybe I know the answer, but maybe not. What is the one thing that you do now that you wished that you wish you had learned earlier? Oh, honestly, I say this all the time, but keeping a food journal when I'm having Mm. some sort of symptoms, I was really hesitant to do it for a while. Just had a past with eating disorders in like middle school. And I felt like it would be really, really strict and regimented to write down everything. And I was worried that I'd get into my head. Um, but it was really hard to keep track of the symptoms I was having and what I ate the day before the day before that. And so my husband was the one that just like kept pushing me to do it. He's like, you need to do this. You need to keep track, however you want to do it, whether it's on your phone or Mm -hmm. writing it down. And so now if I feel any sort of symptoms coming on, that's like my first go-to is just to write down everything I'm eating and everything I'm doing so that I can try to pinpoint what the culprit is and correlate, you know, what, what I'm eating to the way I'm feeling. But yeah, I would have saved myself, I think a lot of heartache if I would have done that earlier on. That's a really good idea. I think you've just inspired me to start doing that tonight (laughs) because I've been having the worst brain fog the last few days and I like have been eating, uh, eating a lot of gluten the past few weeks. No, it's connected. (laughs) Right. I know when you see it on paper, you're like, okay. And you really realize, I think I wasn't mindful about the things I was eating before. And I feel like when you actually start to write it down, you're like, oh yeah, I did put a bite of that in my mouth when I was testing something or I was clearing my child's, you know, tray from the high chair. I was just like putting things in my mouth without even thinking about it. So it was really helpful to really like take a kind of step back and look exactly what I was eating. Yeah, I understand. Well, where can our listeners find Against All Grain? So I'm most active on Instagram and I'm actually Danielle Walker there, okay. uh, but Facebook at against all grain. And then I have a blog against all and the books are sold anywhere, anywhere books are sold, <laughs> anywhere books are sold. All right. That is amazing. Um, well, this has been really helpful and informative. I can't wait to try some of your recipes. Um, so thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. This is I Love Wellness. Please don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast. It would mean so much to me and the entire Love Wellness team. Thanks again, guys. Bye.